0: You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. We're in a series today called um, Wisdom, the Way of Wisdom. And I took kind of a cue, uh, the metaphor, uh, well, I think Robert Frost actually took his cue from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, <laughs> when Jesus said, you know, go the narrow way, <laughs> don't go the broad way. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Uh, so Robert Frost, um, who was Poet Laureate of the United States for a time, wrote a, a poem called um, The Road Not Taken, about two, ro- two paths diverged in the yellow wood, And he said, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And we're looking at the difference that the way of wisdom, which is not the way that most people follow these days. There's a lot of foolishness going on, right? And uh, I can't even, we don't even have to go there. You know. So um, Proverbs says 3,000 years ago that The way of wisdom is the way to go. We don't need to travel the path of outrage and tribalism that we see so often right now. It seems like anger is now the commodity that's being pushed and promoted and bought and sold all throughout our society. And today we're going to be looking at instead that anger can be healed in us so that we can walk the way of wisdom. Now, it's not to say that Christians or followers of Jesus are to be just kind of, as the old saying goes, you know, milk toast. You know, that if you take a piece of toast, you dump it in milk, it's just kind of like, it just falls apart. We're not supposed to be pushovers, okay? But we can be peacemakers and we can be reconcilers. Um, We can be, as our own God is, slow to anger. I mean, really slow. (laughs) Our songs today are just so wonderful that we sang beforehand, and uh, kudos to the band as they did a great job with them, because it is the fact that God's faithfulness is why we can talk about um, the way of healing anger today, and God's unconditional love that never stops and never lets us go. That's why these words can be spoken today. It's in that context that the book of Proverbs can be read. It's not just take these words of advice. It's not words of uh, kind of a, some type of a help, you know? Like, here's a few things that you can do to improve your life. That's not what this is about. This is really within God's grace, within the way that God has set up this entire world and how God has planned his way of redemption that we can speak about the healing of our anger. So before we get into that, let's read some of the Proverbs today that we're taking our cue from. And these are various Proverbs from chapter 14 through chapter 25. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. But be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So from these um, proverbs today, we're going to be looking and exploring four different points. I know, four. Ooh. We'll try to get through them pretty quickly, though. Okay, And it is, first of all, the dangerous power that anger has, its potential goodness, but why it often goes wrong, and how it can be healed. Okay. Got it? Following with me? So first of all, it's dangerous, dangerous power. You probably know that. Anger is kind of the dynamite of the soul, and it tends to destroy everything around it if it can. It can be so volcanic. It can be atomic. It can be a problem. I mean, the first couple of Proverbs we looked at, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Okay, All kinds of research have shown that anger is probably more damaging to you than anxiety, believe it or not. In 2022, the New York Times did a kind of a summary piece on all of this that said this, lost your cool, your heart, brain, and gut are taking notice. Public life and personal hardships provide ample fodder to flip for flare-ups, which, in addition to costing your cool, can also take a more serious toll. According to scientists, prolonged and extreme anger can be also exacerbate existing health problems as well as affect the way we react to certain issues. Anger responses can cause a ripple effect throughout the body, from the cardiovascular system to the nervous system. It's all fair game. The body keeps a score, Okay, The body keeps score when anger controls a human life. Um, And the score comes from uh, another website that has everyday health, uh, lists five different ways that anger affects you. Outbursts can put uh, your heart at risk. Anger ups your stroke risk. It weakens your immune system. It causes your anxiety to even be worse. It's linked to depression. Your hostility can even hurt your lungs. Isn't that amazing? And anger, yes, can shorten your life. But it not only affects you personally, anger is destructive in relationships. And I think you know that. When you get angry, boy, words become weapons. Dr. Lee Royce, a professor of psychiatry and behavioral neuroscience at the University of Chicago, <coughs> talks about this. You might often hear a person, he says, in an angry state say or do something that they don't really like, and when they're not angry, they will regret it and wish they ha- didn't do that. Have you ever thought that about you? Oh, man, I can't believe I said that. I didn't. Yeah, I meant it, but. <laughs> I didn't want to mean it. Yeah, it's amazing. Not only that, though, I think the worst part, the part that I don't recognize, is when I'm angry, my judgment just goes out the window. I turn reptilian. I'm like an alligator, just ready to attack. I can't even think straight at the moment. Have you ever? Yeah, maybe you've watched that. I'm not recommending necessarily, but it's popular right now. The show on, is it Netflix? Which one is it? Beef? Anybody watch Beef? Is that on Netflix? (laughs) Woo! There's even church scenes in it, though, so that's kind of, not to say there is a lot of other stuff in it. But um, it's all just about road rage and how it gets out of control and ruins these people's lives, right? And they can't even think straight. Man, they do not think straight in this show. So Dr. Royce continues, in that agitated state, we're less likely to make good judgments, to listen for certain information, to be attuned to other motivations that are important for human, humans, like values. You just lose it. And we probably all lost it at times. And that's why I'm so glad we sang the songs that we did. We're saying this in a gospel setting, the fact that God has embraced us, loves us, forgives us, renews us, and will not leave us simply because we've been angry with him or others or we've been destructive in any form in our lives. Now, of all the emotions that we might have, anger is the one, I think, that can act a lot like an addictive substance. Now, why I mean that is because you fall into denial often with anger. (laughs) I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. (laughs) You ever said that? Or I'm just venting. I'm just getting it off my chest. Do you understand how that doesn't work? They have done studies on that It doesn't really help. It tends to fuel. I um, well, I'm just I'm just standing up for I'm just standing up for my own rights. By all rights, I should be angry. We justify it in so many ways, and yet what anger does is I can admit often that I'm sad. I can admit that I'm even worried about things or concerned. But it's really like, "Mm, I don't know if I can admit I'm angry. No, what anger also does is it tends to put the reason I'm angry out there. The problem is not me, it's you. Have you ever, d- yeah, right? And therefore, I have a reason to be, and therefore it's okay, and I can hold on to it. That's why I think Dallas Willard, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, said it this way anger is the most fundamental problem in human life. Anger is the most fundamental problem in human life. Do you not, s- I thought I had that slide. Did I not put that one up? Oops. Well, I should get angry now. I know. No, it's it's me. Okay. So, but the Bible doesn't just say stop it, (laughs) don't repress it. The Bible also says there is potential good in anger. Potential. Okay? In Proverbs 16, verse 32 Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes his city. So the ideal in Proverbs is not that you will never be angry. The ideal in Proverbs is not that you will deny ever being angry, that you're just going to be kind of this zen, you know, I'm always calm, detached. That is not the perfect life or the ideal life, to be detached and not care about anything. The ideal is that you are slow to anger, that anger takes a long time and that you can handle and channel that anger, rather than have it control you. John Chrysostom, I can hardly ever say his name right. He's an early church father. who was called the man with the golden tongue. He was a preacher, John Chrysostom. Okay, He said this, and I think this is kind of the biblical view. He that is angry without cause sins, but he who is not angry when there is cause sins for unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. There are reasons to be angry and to do something. A good example of anger that has been channeled somewhat properly or did some positive is the group Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Over the death of a child, this group was started. And the positive results were changes in our society towards our attitudes toward drinking and driving, which has then reduced traffic accidents and needless deaths as a result. That's a positive use of anger. By the way, you only get angry about things that you actually care about. Okay, You actually care about. If you don't care about it it won't trigger any anger. Anger is nothing, in a sense, but love in motion. And I know that sounds kind of odd. But when you care about something or someone, and that love is under some type of a threat, or that person is facing something or whatever, that's when it comes out. So if you want to know, look at what ticks you off, and you will find out what makes you tick. What matters? And that's why the reason the Bible actually says that God himself, he is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. But God still does display anger in his relationship to human beings. He sees how we have destroyed creation and each other, how we have treated other people. And through the prophets, you will read some very passages So that Abraham Heschel, in his book on the prophets, says that actually nowhere better than in the prophets themselves, God has shown how much he cares about human beings. He says man is not only an image of God he is the perpetual concern of God. This is so radically different than almost any other world religion by the way. Most world religions God is above it all doesn't care, you know, detached, especially the god of Plato and Aristotle. This god is totally focused on your well-being. In fact, what he says is whatever man affect does affects not only his own life, but also the life of God. In other words, what you do does matter to God, and he gets frustrated. He gets upset. You see in the prophet Hosea probably the most pathos. That's the word. That's the suffering, frustrations of God towards Israel, where Hosea goes like, "What am I supposed to do with you? How am I supposed to put? It? You're like a teenager, you know, that just goes off and you're." What am I supposed to do? But then God does not direct his anger the way that we tend to direct our anger. (laughs) He doesn't direct it against us, but he uses his anger for us because we are not his enemy. The enemy that we face is his enemy, the enemy of death and sin and the devil. That's the enemies of God, and God takes it on. That's why you see even in Jesus, when he comes to Lazarus's tomb, it says he is upset. He is ticked off, not at Lazarus, not at the others, but at death. And he calls Lazarus out of the tomb only for himself to enter a tomb just a couple weeks later. That's the anger of God that is a positive, controlled type of anger. But man, why does it go wrong? Because it often goes wrong in my life. Look at Proverbs 24. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Woo! Um, That's almost like, you know, that's 3,000 years old, and it seems like it's last night's news. Is that amazing? It's amazing how anger can go wrong when you just like, instead of just wanting uh, to right a wrong, you actually want vengeance. It's over the top. It's out of control. It's not directed in a positive way. Like I said, when your loves are threatened, that's when you get angry. The problem is my loves. (laughs) What do I actually love? And my loves are kind of out of order, as St. Augustine says in his books, Confessions and City of God. My loves, like I love my entitlements more than my group. I love my tribe more than others' people. I love my sense of righteousness and my superior, I love my comfort than trying to right a wrong in somebody else's life. That's the problem. Now, none of those things are wrong. Being comfortable is not wrong. Uh, loving your things, loving your reputation, loving all those, but when they are out of order, when they are too important compared to other things, when they are at all above or beyond in the place of God, that's when your disordered loves cause an unrighteous anger. You get over angry over the things that you actually worship, that you really love, and they are too much your focus. Now, not only because the cause of anger is distorted, but also the goal of my anger, as I kind of mentioned, uh, a loving anger wants to do a surgical strike. you know? Um, I know this might not be a great, but I remember being this way. I was a kid and my parents got angry with me and rightly so at times. you know, I was acting like an idiot, but what they wanted to do is remove the idiocy from me. They didn't want to destroy me, right? So, for instance, I remember one time my mom was up, so upset because I was out till 1 o'clock in the morning. I had told her where I was going, but I didn't call her and say I was going to be late. And she wanted to remove the foolishness out of me. So she, when I got home, she laid in to me about how she was worried and upset, and I can't believe you did this. You know better. And yeah, I, did re- I never did that again. That's a proper way of handling. But so often, what happens, instead of trying to right the wrong, we just pulverize the people around us with our anger. It's all out of control. It's so volcanic. And I think we've all done that. So how can anger, my anger, in that situation, be healed. Like I said, the Proverbs does not say how a wise person is without any anger at all, but is slow to anger. The impulsiveness that's so much behind anger is not there. What has to happen at first is to admit you are, that you are angry. If you deny, oh, I'm not really angry, it's not really, it just is under the surface, it's still working. You can claim that you're impregnable, that you can handle it all, but it's just not the case. What's amazing is when you are and when you share that you are angry with someone, that's actually an openness and a vulnerability that so often we don't want to uh, show. It's an act of weakness that you are affected by the other person, or what's happened, or what's going on in the world, and that you want to work to resolve the issue. That you're not there to just you know, point out the blame, but you are there to try to find a solution to solve a problem. You're seeking peace and reconciliation. So first, got to admit it. you got to own it when it's there, but then, you need to also reflect on it. This is where the slow to anger comes in. Check it out. Say, hmm, why am I so angry about this? Proverbs twenty four twenty nine says, do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Who is being talked to here? Do you realize that self-talk? Self-talk. And do you realize what Proverbs is really saying here is that your anger is not a result of what happened to you. Your anger is a result of what you're telling yourself about what happened to you. Do you get that? Your anger is about how you have interpreted what happened to you and how you've taken it. It's much more about you are upset about being upset rather than what actually happened so often my anger whoa wait a minute let me why am i so upset about this what is what is this triggering in me what is this big thing that i seems so important that i'm trying to defend right here and after i analyze it and reflect on it i'm embarrassed most of the time it has nothing to do with anything that really should matter that much. It's much more just an ego defense. But finally, I think you got to put anger where it belongs. God can handle your anger. Only really God can handle anger properly. Anger is, you know, it's about as old as, well, creation itself. Old as time. The first story about true anger is a story of sibling rivalry between Cain and Abel and the older brother Cain. And God comes to Cain and says, hey, watch out. And God wanted to work with Cain and handle his anger. But of course, Cain did not reflect on it. Instead, he vented his anger and took it out in his brother and murdered him. God could have handled anger, Cain's anger and helped him work through it and brought Cain to a deeper understanding and a deeper intimacy with God. In fact, when you work through conflicts in a relationship and work through your anger with someone, you grow in a deeper friendship and bond. So God will take your anger. In fact, you see that in the person of Jesus. He handled our anger He took all the hostility that this world had towards one another, toward himself. And he says, you kill me with that, and that will crown me as the king over your hearts. Blame me, accuse me, scapegoat me, even abuse me. I will take it all because my love for you is such that I want to not destroy you, but destroy the sin and death and the devil himself and his work over your life that's the real enemy and that's what jesus took on and you can see in jesus christ where anger needs to go and where that healing comes in fact that's why isaiah 53 one of the la- the last servant song in isaiah that foretells the death of jesus christ as the suffering servant says by his wounds we are healed It's where the healing comes. And because this is Jesus who will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, this Jesus who has righted all wrongs through his death and resurrection, this Jesus who has shown us a love, unconquerable, a love beyond all, who will not abandon you, will never forsake you, will never run away from you, even when you have run away from him. This Jesus who is so committed to you and so promises everything for you, since he is the one who will be the end of history, the goal of history, and the one who will be, at the end, righting all wrongs. That is why a man like Miroslav Wolf who lived through the destruction and the chaos of Yugoslavia falling apart, wrote in his book, with the certainty of God's judgment at the end of history is the presupposition for the renunciation of violence in the middle of it. We have no reason to take out vengeance on anyone because we know God's going to handle it all in its proper place, in its proper way. So you can work for peace and justice in this world, but not get so caught up into the rightness of your cause, you can hold it loosely and understand God's still going to work it out, even if there's so much that so easily could be angered in this world. Do you know, I mean, I'm just amazed. If you watch or listen to talk radio, the new, anything that you listen to, just take a pulse in the next few days on how much anger is being shared, and how it's not actually helping anything. Now, what's really needing to be shared a lot more is the truth and love of Jesus Christ. That's why Miroslav Wolf says, one can embrace even perpetrators in forgiveness because God has embraced them through the atonement. That is, through the cross of Jesus Christ, then I can look at even, because you know what? You are not my enemy. No matter who you are in this world, you are not my enemy. You may think you're my enemy, but you are not my enemy. The enemy, your enemy is my enemy, and that is the devil and sin and death. No one else, no human being, not flesh and blood, those are not your enemies. They are people that can be reconciled to God. And so that's why Proverbs says it this way. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. You, The goal of anybody who might be unreconciled to you is to bring reconciliation. Anybody who is an enemy by this world standard is to redeem them, to bring them together, to unite them because of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I debated whether to share this long quote at the end of this message today, but it is so good. I think it's so good. And I know some people are like, mm, I'm not sure about this. It's from Martin Luther King, Jr during the time of segregation, who had something really profound to say about all of this. And I think this is the way that we handle our anger and our differences in our society. He wrote this. Jesus said, love your enemies, that you may be my children, that you may be children of your Father, which is in heaven. Of course, you say all this about loving enemies? It's not practical. Life is a matter of getting even, of hitting back, of dog-eat-dog. Maybe in some distant utopia the idea will work, but not in the hard, cold world in which we live. My friends, we've followed the so-called practical way for a long time now. Time is cluttered with the wreckage of communities, which surrendered into hatred and violence. We are going to follow another way. We will not abandon our righteous efforts. With every ounce of our strength, we will continue to rid the nation of the incubus of segregation, but we will not in the process relinquish our privilege and our obligation to love while abhorring segregation. We will love the segregationist. This is the only way to build the beloved community. To our most bitter opponents, we say we shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we will continue to love you. We cannot obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as it is to cooperate with good but throw us in jail, we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community and beat us, and we will still love you. Be assured that we will wear you down. One day, we will win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We will appeal to your heart and conscience so that we will win you in the process. And so our victory will be a double victory. The great military leaders of the past have gone, and their empires have crumbled and burned to ashes, but the empire of Jesus built solidly, majestically on the foundation of love is still growing. May we solemnly realize we will never be the sons of our Heavenly Father until we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us as he did for us." Profound words, true words. That's the healing of anger. Let's pray. Lord, you know the road that has not been taken too often these days is the road that is slow to anger and abounding in love, that sacrifices, Lord, for the sake of others, that wants to win over those who are different from us, who oppose us. But we pray, Lord, especially as the church, that we would be those who live as you lived, Jesus. Lord, you know, each one of us, our anger has been (laughs) over the top. It has been destructive. We've denied it at times, Lord, and yet it is still there. We have allowed anger to motivate us and move us and to do things that are not positive, Lord, to divide and to oppose rather than to heal. We pray, Lord God, that you would teach us how to be slow to anger, to how as well to challenge that anger when it does come, that the injustices that others have faced, Lord. That we can be a positive, make a positive difference in this world. We pray, Lord Jesus, above all, that we realize no matter how angry we have been towards you or others, Lord, you not only forgive us, but you've absorbed all of that, Lord. You've paid the price for that. And you can bring healing by your wounds, Lord Jesus. So. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, Lord, that we delight in your will, walk in your ways, that we seek justice and reconciliation and peace in this world, that we make a positive difference here, both for now and for eternity, and that we walk the narrow way, the road that is not taken often these days, Lord, the way of wisdom, the way of the healing of anger, and the healing of nations. All this we pray, Lord Jesus, in the name of your Son, or in your name, Lord Jesus, amen.